All right, hello, Christ community. Greetings to our 15th Street campus and our West campus and the amazing folks that meet in our traditions venue. Glad all of you are here. It is uh, so great to see a number of our college students coming back. We missed you guys and hope you had a great summer. Um, welcome, especially those students who are new this year. We are excited. We would love to be a part of, of the things that God wants to do in your life this coming year. And by the way, for college students next weekend after our Sunday services at our 15th Street campus, there will be a brief college gathering uh, with food. Uh, to connect with Pastor KJ and other college students involved here. So you can learn more about Christ Community's college ministry, um, how that can be a part of your school year. So today we are in week two of a four-part teaching series that we're calling Friend of Jesus. One of the most significant discoveries in my own journey with God was this idea that I can experience a friendship with Jesus. I'm not talking about a Facebook-level friendship, you know, where you, the only requirement is to submit a friend request, right, and have that person accept that. I'm talking about an intimate, deep friendship with Jesus, an experience with Jesus where he is as close to you or closer to you than your closest friend. Early on in my, my Christian life, I didn't even know this was possible for an ordinary person like me. I thought this kind of close friendship with Jesus was reserved for a few select super spiritual saints, you know, people in the Bible like Moses and Abraham. But over time, I began to discover that Jesus actually wants us to experience this kind of friendship with him. Every one of us can experience an intimate friendship with Jesus. So what does that look like? How can we cultivate a friendship with Jesus like that? Well, that's the question that we're looking at in this four-week series that we started last week, and we're focusing on a person that we're, we're introduced to, we were introduced to last week at the end of chapter 10 in the book of Luke. Her name is Mary. Um, Mary lived in uh, the village of Bethany with her sister Martha and her brother Lazarus. Now, we don't know that much about Mary. There are only a few passages in the New Testament that talk about her, but one thing becomes very clear in the few passages that talk about her. It becomes very clear <clears throat> that that Mary experienced a friendship with Jesus and her sister Martha didn't. They both loved Jesus, but only Mary experienced a true friendship with Jesus. So why is that? What is it, what was it about Mary's relationship with Jesus that made it qualitatively different than Martha's relationship with Jesus? So last week we discovered the first of these differences. While Martha was focused, only focused on doing for Jesus, Mary chose to delight in Jesus. She to chose to take time to enjoy him. A friendship with Jesus involves taking time to be with him and to enjoy him and to delight in him. Our, our, our doing for Jesus should always flow out of our delighting in Jesus. And so if you missed last week's message, <clears throat> I encourage you to check it out online or on our app. We did some fun response things in the middle of the message. It was fun just to practice delighting in Jesus. So I encourage you to check that out. Today, we're going to look at a second aspect of Mary's relationship with Jesus that, that made it different than Martha's. Now, in order to discover this, we're going to have to jump for one week here, jump from the book of Luke to the book of John, okay? To the book of John, fourth book in the New Testament. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to John chapter 11. If you don't have any of that with you, that's okay. We're going to show the verses on the screen. 
So in this passage in John 11, we see that we learn that Lazarus, who is again the brother of Martha and Mary, Lazarus is very ill. He is very, very sick. And so Martha and Mary, they send word to Jesus, hoping that he would come and heal their brother. Verse 5 of John 11. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Okay, so it says that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, but when he heard that Lazarus was very ill, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, if he loved them, why wouldn't he immediately go to help? Now, we, of course, know, if you read the rest of the passage, we realize that Jesus is orchestrating something here for God's glory. Jesus knows that Lazarus is going to die, and he also knows that God, knows that God is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and it's going to be a really, really cool thing. And so Jesus waits a few days. See, he knows that's going to happen, and we know that's going to happen because we've read the rest of the story. But Mary and Martha don't have our vantage point on this. They don't see the end of the story. All they see see is that Jesus knew about their brother's illness and he didn't come immediately to help. And now Lazarus is dead. So they are both extremely disappointed in Jesus. In fact, when he finally does come to the village, they both say the exact same thing to Jesus, expressing their disappointment. But they receive two very different responses. Martha goes first. When she greets Jesus, she initially greets Jesus. When she greets Jesus, she says in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's clearly disappointed in Jesus. But notice where the conversation goes. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So think about the context here. Even though the circumstances are emotionally heavy, right? Her brother has just died. The circumstances are emotionally heavy. The interaction, if you notice, the interaction is all theological, Martha says, I know God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And she says, yes, I believe. I mean, this is, all, this is all great stuff. It is all really, really important truth. But it is all theological. The, 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 the interaction, the relational interaction here is entirely, it's all at a theological level. Now, I want you to contrast that response. Jesus' response to Martha. Contrast that with Jesus' response to Mary. When he sees her and she says to him the exact same thing. Verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Notice this is the exact same thing that Martha said to Jesus moments before. Word for word. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus, in this instance, has a very different response to Mary. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. 
Jesus wept. Now, this is fascinating. To Martha, Jesus gives a theological response. But with Mary, he weeps. Why the difference? Here's why. Martha's interaction with Jesus was theological. Mary's interaction with Jesus was vulnerable. And there is a huge difference between these two. Jesus clearly loved both Martha and Mary, but his response to them was very different. And this difference highlights a crucial characteristic of a friendship with Jesus, a crucial characteristic of a friendship with Jesus, and that is vulnerability. Vulnerability. We are told that Mary fell at his feet. She was weeping. She was grieving. Her heart was open. She was being real. And it moved Jesus' heart. You see, this is the way that friendship works. This is how relationships deepen. I remember years ago, many years ago, reading, it was old back then, John Powell's classic book on relationships. It was called, um, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? And he talks in that book, he talks about four levels of relationship. Level one is cliche. How's the weather? How you doing? How, you know, what do you think about the Rockies? All that stuff, you know, how are you? It's very superficial, right? Level two is the level of information or facts. Where do you live? Where do you work? Do you have children? What are they like? Factual information about ourselves. Level three, then, and each of these is getting a little deeper, level three would include is the level of values. It's the level of opinions. What do you think about? What do you believe? And see, this is the level where Martha and Jesus were interacting. I referred to it earlier as a theological level. I am not saying, please hear me, I am not saying theology isn't important. It is, it is important, incredibly important. It's the realm of truth, right? It's the realm of values and beliefs. It's foundational in many respects. What Martha declared about Jesus in her conversation with him was very important. She says, I believe you are the Messiah. I mean, that's incredibly important. And I'm sure Mary believed the exact same thing about Jesus. But Mary had moved to a deeper level in their relationship. Mary had moved to level four which is crucial for any friendship. Level four is the disclosing of feelings. The disclosing of feelings. The opening of one's heart to another person. See, to talk about the weather or to talk about how many children I have or even my belief about some theological issue, those things require very little, if any, vulnerability, right? (laughs) I mean, very little vulnerability to share with you about my children or whatever. But when I share with you about how I feel, what I'm experiencing at a heart level in terms of sadness or anger or fear, when I share that, I'm being real. I'm being vulnerable. I'm opening up a very personal part of myself to you. Without that level four interaction, without level four deepening friendships will not happen. They won't be experienced, no matter how much time we have spent with this person or with this group of people. It doesn't matter. I mean, there there can be families, there can be marriages, people that have been married for years and they've never gotten to level four. E-groups can meet for years. Small groups of people can meet for years 
have coffee every Friday morning, whatever. People can meet for years and never get to level four. If, if people keep everything at an informational or a theological level, sharing thoughts and opinions, but not sharing their hearts, they will miss out on a deepening friendship. They'll miss out. Now, here's the deal. This principle applies, this level of disclosure, this vulnerability principle, not only applies to our horizontal relationships with other people, it also applies to our relationship with Jesus. Where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Level three or level four? Is your, and let me ask it this way. Is your relationship with Jesus primarily informational, theological, what you believe about him, the doctrinal truths contained in the Bible, is it that? Or is it a level four relationship, a relationship characterized by vulnerability with Jesus? An open heart. Which is it? There are many Christians whose relationship with Jesus stays at level three for years, maybe their whole life. They have a sincere relationship with Jesus, but it stays at level three for years. They, they know the Bible. They may be active in ministry, but their relationship with Jesus never gets to level four. Now, there's this fascinating and kind of um, uh, distressing, uh, sort of disturbing passage in Matthew chapter seven in verses 21 to 23. Jesus is speaking here. And notice what he says. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Now, notice that last statement Jesus makes. He doesn't say, you never knew me. In other words, he doesn't say, you didn't spend enough time learning about me. You don't have enough information about me. That's not what he says. He says, I never knew you. Now, hold it. He's omniscient, right? God is omniscient. God knows everything. What does he mean? I never knew you. This word know speaks of relationship. It's the same word used to describe the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the Trinity, right? They know each other. There is a level of interaction relationship, deep level, and know is the word the Bible uses to talk about that. Jesus is saying, I never knew you at an intimate relational level. You were maybe doing all this religious stuff, right? You were doing all this stuff for me, but you never let me in to those secret, vulnerable places in your heart. I never knew you. See, the, the relationship, the life that Jesus invites us to experience with him is a life of intimate union with him. That's what a friendship with him looks like. Opening our hearts to him, being real with him. So going back to Mary and Martha and their response in this passage, both of them, think about this, both of them are experiencing significant disappointment with Jesus, maybe even anger. They sent word that their brother was very sick. He was on his deathbed, and Jesus waited two days to come to them. He was too late. When he finally got there, Lazarus was already dead. 
I mean, that incredible disappointment with Jesus. He didn't do what they wanted them to do, what, what they expected him to do. So what do you do with disappointment like that? What do, you, what do we do with disappointment in Jesus like that? Because all of us have, or we, if we haven't, we will. We'll experience this. How do we respond when we fast and we pray for God to heal our marriage or to remove our sexual struggle or to help us find a spouse or to restore a, a struggling child or to get pregnant or to find a job and maybe we fast and we pray for months and months and months and yet nothing seems to be happening. What do you do with that? God's not coming through the way that we expected him to. He's not coming through the way that we ask him to. And it's not like we're asking him to win the lottery or something, right? We're just asking for these good, God-given yearnings in our heart to be met, right? That's all we're asking for. And yet nothing seems to be happening. What do we do with that? Now, what many people do, many people, they choose, they decide to turn away from Jesus, right? They turn away from Jesus. They decide that he really can't be trusted He's not doing what we expect him to do. He's not doing what we ask him to do. He's not, to do so. He's not doing what he should be doing. He's not meeting our expectations. And so why bother? Why bother? And so there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people who maybe initially kind of have this relationship, this belief in Jesus, and then they just decide to check out because he's not meeting their expectations. And that's certainly one option, but it kind of leaves in the dust any idea of having a friendship with Jesus. If we, if we choose that option, we're kind of just abandoning this idea of, of friendship with Jesus. A second option that many people take is the Martha option. Just keep everything theological, right? Keep everything theological. Just keep reciting theological answers. Stuff your real emotions. Don't tell anyone about your disappointment. Just keep claiming God's promises, right? When someone asks how you're doing, just say God is good all the time, right? Um, now, now, please hear me. I am not, I'm not saying that any of that is wrong. I'm not saying any of that is untrue. The problem is... When those responses all stay at level three in our relationship with Jesus, that's when there's a problem. Because what, what it means, when it stays at level three, that means we're stuffing our real emotions behind this veneer of faith, right? We're stuffing our real emotions behind this veneer of faith. And when we do that, we end up with a Martha relationship with Jesus, a theologically correct relationship without a friendship. A theologically correct relationship without a friendship. So Mary shows us another option here. Rather than running from Jesus or hiding behind a theological veneer, Mary opens her heart to Jesus. She shows her true emotions in, in his presence, in his presence, she shows her true emotions, her grief, her sadness, her disappointment. She's weeping, right? She lets him into her heart. And that's exactly what he wants. That's what Jesus wants. He wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. I was talking with a friend the other day. 
and he was sharing about some of the challenges going on in their lives right now, you know, family stuff and a new baby and work challenges. And he, and he said to me, you know, early on in my Christian life, I thought I had all the answers. I had the right Bible verses for anyone in crisis. I could quote the Bible verse for them or whatever. And then he said this, but now I realize that life is not that simple. It can't, always, it can't always be fit into these neat and tidy theological categories. See, that, that's a um, uh, brilliant observation. It's absolutely true. And that realization that he just articulated, that is actually a huge step toward friendship with Jesus. Because instead of having to have all the answers figured out, we can instead run to Jesus with an open heart and be vulnerable with him right where we're at. We can share with him what's really going on inside. I mean, do you realize, do you realize that it is okay to be mad at Jesus? Do you realize it's okay to express to Jesus your anger, your disappointment, your, your fears? It's okay to yell at him. Did you know that? It is okay to yell at him and to laugh with him and to weep with him. See, Mary knew that. Mary, Mary knew that. She was comfortable enough in her relationship with Jesus that she was willing to open her heart to him. Now, as I mentioned last week, um, and I want to keep hitting this because sometimes when I, the guys in the room, the men in the room, sometimes when we as men hear this kind of stuff, we immediately just dismiss it as too unmasculine, too feminine. This is just touchy-feely theology stuff, you know, a level four, all that, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we, we just kind of do that. But guys, the Bible won't let us do that. The Bible won't let us do that because one of the people in the Bible who experienced the deepest, most real friendship with Jesus was David in the Old Testament. David was a valiant warrior. I mean, he was a noble king. He was a strong, effective leader. And we read all about his conquests in the book of 1st and 2nd Samuel. But it's in, so his conquests are in 1st and 2nd Samuel, but it's in the Psalms that we see his heart. Right? It's in the Psalms, it's in his prayer life that we get this amazing window into David's heart, into the kind of relationship with God that he had. The Psalms are such a beautiful picture of a man who knew how to be vulnerable with God. This is a man who knew how to be vulnerable with God, and that didn't make him any less of a man. It made him more of a man. He knew how to open his heart to God. So he prayed openly about his fears, about his feelings of rejection, about his discouragement, about his anger. I mean, the Psalms, when you read the Psalms, you realize they are not some pious, you know, religious, sterile, theologically correct prayers to God. Right? I mean, they, I mean it's obviously they're theologically correct because they're in the Bible, but they're not this sterile kind of saying what we're supposed to say. No, the, the Psalms are raw with emotion. They are raw with emotion, even negative emotions. So here, here's one example, Psalm 13, just a window into David's prayer life. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts 
and day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look at how he's talking to God. <laughs> I mean, he, he's just laying it out there. He, he is expressing these feelings of loneliness and of sorrow and of fear and anxiety. Here's another example from Psalm 6. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I'm faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. I mean, how's that for a quiet time? He is just expressing to God this intense despair and anguish and sorrow and sadness. He is being incredibly vulnerable with God about his heart, about his emotions, which is exactly what God wants. It's exactly what God wants. He wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. More than he wants our, you know, whatever, correct theological answers or whatever. He wants our, our hearts. That's what gets us from level three to level four. So let me just ask, how, here's, here's a question just to process personally, each one of us here. How vulnerable are you with Jesus? How vulnerable are you with Jesus? How fully do you disclose your heart with him? Your loneliness, your disappointment, your struggle with some sexual sin, your, your bitterness, your anger. When you pray, think about your prayer life. When you pray, are your prayers only focused on asking for a few things, you know, praying through a list of requests? Or does your prayer time include just being real, opening your heart to him? Now, part of the problem, part of our problem sometimes, especially for us men, is that we don't see our hearts very well. We have a hard time seeing our hearts. We don't see, we have a hard time seeing what's really going on inside. And there are a lot of reasons for that, and that's a whole other thing, uh, series. But, but what, what we need, often need, especially us guys, what we often need is the help of the Holy Spirit to go there. And sometimes that process can be painful. Um, and I know that from firsthand experience, my own, my own story. For the first several years of my Christian life, I only experienced Jesus at level three. But I didn't know that. I didn't know I was missing out of this other level. Just, I only experienced level three. So I, I was disciplined in my prayer life. I fasted every Thursday. I knew the Bible. I had lots of scriptures memorized. I fasted. I prayed all those things. I was active in ministry. When I became pastor of this church 27 years ago, I continued kind of this level three, this earnest pursuit of God. Um, and the church was growing. The church started growing. I thought everything in my relationship with God was good. And then out of the blue, I experienced my first panic attack. I didn't even have a, a term for it. I didn't know what it was. I just knew I had this cold sweat and my heart started pounding. And then my, you know, uh, it, just, it was this weird experience. I didn't know what was happening to me, um, but I thought I was losing my mind. And I was certain that I was going to lose my job, and, which made me even more uh, panicked and afraid. So I, I went to see a counselor. This was starting to happen to me. So I went to see this counselor, and, and he began to ask me about my life story. And so I began to talk with him 
about my upbringing and my journey and all that. He asked me some questions um, that began to open my eyes to see a part of my heart from which I had completely disconnected. A part of my heart that was so desperate for acceptance and validation that I was using the success of the church to feed that need in me. I was using a growing church to make myself feel valued and acceptable. And that's why I was so driven. It's why I was so intense. I was desperately trying to prove my worth through my performance. And I had lived my whole life that way and never realized it. I'd lived my whole life that way. And it it was like I was seeing a part of my heart for the first time seeing this part of my heart for the first time, that this, this part of my heart that housed this very insecure little boy who longed for acceptance and love, however he could find it. So once I was aware of this, once I saw that part of my heart, it, it, it's like God opened a door to begin to pour out his love into that place of shame and insecurity. I was able to be vulnerable with Jesus at a level I haven't hadn't ever been before because I didn't even know it was there. Now, I wish I could say that that place of insecurity is completely healed, but it's not. It's, It's way better. Trust me, it is way better, but it is not completely gone. I'm still very much on this journey, but, but here's the wonderful thing about that. Here's, here's the wonderful thing about that. This insecure place in my heart keeps me regularly running to Jesus and opening my heart up to him about my fears or about my jealousy or about my insecurity. When those things start to surface again, I just, it gives me an opportunity to run to Jesus again and experience his love in these places. And it has enabled me to experience his love in these places again and again and again and again. And so I I now often taste of a level four relationship with Jesus. And I don't ever want to go back to a relationship with him that's just level three. I don't. I don't want to go back to that. A relationship with him that's theological and informational, but not vulnerable. Because I've, I've lived the difference. And I don't want to go back. So, so let's look again at the question I asked earlier. This is the key question. This is the key question. How vulnerable are you in your relationship with Jesus? Are you more like Martha in this story? You know, focused on information, right theology, and right answers and all that? Or are you more like Mary? Who's willing to, are you willing to fall at Jesus' feet and be sad, be angry, be disappointed, opening your heart to him? No pretending, no added piety to your words before God or whatever, just being real with him. Now, obviously, the key here is to be, we've got to be attentive to our own hearts. Are we aware of what's going on in our hearts so that we can be vulnerable with God? Because if we're not aware of that, we, we can't be vulnerable with God. And so sometimes, as I just shared in my own story, I wish it weren't the, the, this way, but it, it is usually. God, sometimes and often, God actually uses some negative things in our lives, um, like fear, panic attacks, addictions, negative emotions, our spouse threatening to leave us. He uses negative things. God uses negative things like that sometimes to get our attention so that we can move towards greater vulnerability with Jesus. 
So let me, let me give a really practical example of what this might look like. Let's just pick a, a common struggle. Let's just say we struggle with pornography, which is a very common issue for men and women, whether it's internet porn or erotic fiction or whatever. The, these things can be, they can be an overwhelming temptation for many Christians who, who know it's not honoring to Christ, but also it's this daily constant struggle. The typical approach to this area, typical approach would be is, is memorize Bible verses, right? Um, get accountability, have someone hold you accountable, pray to God, Lord, help me resist. All, all those things are good. They're really good. They're really, really helpful. But they're also, they're also, all of them are basically found at level three. See, they're in the realm of right theology, right values, right behavior, which again, hear me here. It is helpful to a point. These things are helpful to a point. But it is, they're also limited in terms of the impact in our lives. Level three is limited in terms of the impact in our lives. So here's, here's a question. What if, what if we brought this struggle with pornography? What if we brought this struggle into level four? Into this area of vulnerability with Jesus. So what do I mean by that? Well, it would mean we just we open our heart to Jesus by asking him, Lord, what is this struggle really about? What am I really thirsty for when I look at this stuff? What, what heartfelt need am I trying to fill with porn? Is it loneliness? Am I lonely? Am I bored? Am I insecure? Is there this need to feel wanted and feel affirmed? Is it shame that I'm trying to cover up? I don't like myself, and so I'm looking to this stuff to make me feel better, to numb the pain, to escape from this stuff. See, once you start to go there, once you start to go there, you and God can have a real conversation, a soul conversation, honest, vulnerable, intimate God, I admit, when I'm looking at porn, what, what I'm really looking for is affirmation. I'm looking for acceptance. I'm looking for someone to want me. When I, what I really long for is intimacy with you. See, that's a level four conversation with God. And what it does is it takes our approach to sin out of the realm of just sin management and into this place of heart vulnerability and inviting Jesus into the root cause. This is just like, you know how when you have dandelions in your lawn, if you mow your lawn, it looks really good. There's no more yellow dandelions, but you didn't really fix the root problem. You're just mowing the lawn. Just keep mowing the lawn. That, to me, is kind of level three, right? I'm just going to try hard. We're just mowing the lawn. It's just level three. Level four gets us to the root. What is really going on here? In my heart, what do I really long for? Like, and that's just one example. Any behavior, you can apply this to any behavior we struggle with, whether it's gossip or jealousy or a criticizing people or lying or alcohol addiction or whatever. Any of those things has a level three approach and a level four approach. And again, both are important. Please hear me. Both are important. But if we only deal with it at level three, at the level of theology and belief and values, we are missing a huge aspect of the power of the Spirit in our lives. We're settling for sin management then, rather than for real heart transformation. See, Jesus wants us to be vulnerable with him. He wants us to fill those places in our hearts 
those places that are filled with shame and, and fear and insecurity and pain, he, he wants to fill those places, but he only does that. He's a perfect gentleman. He only does that if we allow him into those places. If we, like Mary, fall at his feet and open our hearts to him. So are, are you willing to go there with Jesus? Are you willing to go there with Jesus? Let's pray. And what I want to do here, I want to lead you in kind of a, an experience, a response experience. And, and uh, I want to mention again, really important, you, you may be here, you, you may be here and just sort of questioning Christianity. You may be an agnostic or an atheist or whatever. And a friend invited you. You don't even believe this stuff. And that is totally okay. We're so glad you're here. That is totally cool. I, I don't want you to feel any pressure in, in this response. You can just sit back and chill, okay? But if you are in relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you to respond, a particular response to him. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about your relationship with Jesus right now and ask it in terms of this question. Is it primarily at level three or level four? In other words, how vulnerable are you with Jesus? Now, if you kind of admit that it's primarily at level three, you struggle to be vulnerable with Jesus, why is that? See, often the reason is shame. Deep within ourselves, we feel dirty, right? Unlovable. How could I admit this to Jesus or open, you know, this, I'm ashamed of this area. But Jesus' love is big enough to cover that shame. It is, it's big enough. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about a specific area in your life where Jesus is inviting you to be more vulnerable with him. Maybe it's an area of shame. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's an area where you feel disappointment in him or some anger, or maybe it's some area of sin in your life. Just think about one area where Jesus is inviting you to be more vulnerable. Okay, so you got that area in your mind. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to place yourself in this story where Jesus is coming towards you. But instead of Martha, I want you to choose to be like Mary. Just imagine this in your mind. You're falling at Jesus' feet. You're opening your heart to him about this pain, about your struggle, about your failures. Just open your heart. You're falling at his feet. You're opening your heart to him. Now, here's what I want you to pay attention to as you're doing that with Jesus. What is Jesus doing with you? Is he weeping with you? Is he holding you? Is he lifting you up? What is Jesus doing?
Jesus, I thank you that you meet us in these places of vulnerability. Without condemnation, you meet us there and you hold us and love us and lift us up and dust us off. You, are with, you, you weep with us. You are with us in our pain, in our struggle. And we're so grateful. And I pray for all of us here to grow in our merry experience with you, our level of vulnerability with you to live in this place of open-heartedness before you. Okay, now one of, one of the places, you can look up here for a moment here, one of the places where our vulnerability meets the love of Jesus is at the Lord's Supper table. When we partake of the bread and the juice, we do so not as perfect people, we do so as sinners, right? As people who need a savior, who need forgiveness, who need to be reminded of his love. But to partake of the Lord's Supper, it requires an intentional action on our part. We are choosing to come to Jesus with our need, right? With our anger, with our disappointment, with our sin, to admit that to him and to surrender that to him. We are running to him, acknowledging that he is our life and our hope and our savior. This is, folks, this is not about being perfect. It's about being real, receiving afresh what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So this is a very significant action that we're going to take in a couple minutes here. The Lord's Supper is a place for sinners. But there's an important caveat that I feel prompted as I was praying for this service. I felt prompted to share this. It's a place for sinners, but it's not a place for willful rebellion. What do I mean by that? If you are embracing a particular area of sin, maybe it's adultery or whatever, and you are not repentant, I encourage you to not partake of the Lord's Supper. And the reason is because of the passage the Lord brought to my mind, 1 Corinthians 11, where there is a strong warning against taking the Lord's Supper in an unhealthy manner. Again, this is not about perfection. I am not talking, it's not about perfection. It's about repentance. It's about coming to the Lord's Supper with an open heart, admitting that we need Jesus. And when that is the posture of heart, of our heart, all are welcome. All are welcome. Okay, so let, let, let me lead us in a prayer as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. And then what's going to happen, I'll, I'll pray here, and I'll just explain some logistics in just a moment, but let's pray. And I want to encourage all of us to ask ourselves, are we prepared to receive the Lord's Supper? Are we coming to Jesus as repentant sinners in need of his forgiveness and life, acknowledging him as Savior? And maybe it's the first time you've ever done that where right now in the quiet of your heart, you're saying yes to Jesus to receive his forgiveness. He would love that for you to do that, to open your heart to receive him. So Lord, we prepare our hearts now. We thank you that this table is for sinners. And we may be struggling with areas of sin, maybe daily, minutely we're struggling. But as long as we're coming to the table with an open heart saying, God, we want you. We need your forgiveness and your life. We're not coming in willful rebellion. 
but we're coming as sinners in need of a Savior. And we thank you for the offer and what the Lord's Supper represents. And so we open our hearts to you. Thank you for the bread that represents your body, Jesus, given for us. Thank you for the cup, which represents the juice, represents your blood shed for us. It is about your work, not ours. And so we're grateful. We're grateful.